can attest to this, it's even something that's happened within church leadership, even within the church. Power is something that the human nature seems to be drawn to. On the same coin, the Bible speaks a lot about power, but a little bit differently. The Bible speaks about power in terms of the ability to be transformed, to be overcomers, and specifically what this weekend's all about, or a lot of it, to be boldness, bold in God's work. To be bold in God's work. And so the way we started out this Bible study, at the very beginning, is we wanted to look at the path to Pentecost in light of the children of Israel and the disciples of Jesus. You know, Jesus dies, he's risen from the dead, and right there in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus, he has some specific words, some specific instructions for his disciples. And if you read at the top of your study packet, in verse 8 of Acts 1, Jesus says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we know that this will take place, specifically what Jesus is talking about on the day that we call Pentecost, and what's coming to us in the next 24 hours. And so, as we look at the disciples of Jesus, who they are as individuals, we think about ourselves we even go back and we think about who are the children of Israel. We think about who are these individuals in comparison to the rest of the world. Ourselves in comparison to the rest of the world. And I have a question for us. I asked us to read Act, or 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 26 to 29. I'm just going to go ahead and read this just to kind of get this in our minds and refresh us. Acts or not, excuse me, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 26 through 29, says this. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his, own, in his presence. And I have a question. And I ask you to discuss your thoughts regarding the choice of the children of Israel. Let's just think about who the children of Israel were. They're in Egypt. They're stuck in that specific situation and the 12 disciples of Jesus. How does the choice of the 12 disciples of Jesus and the children of Israel, how does that seem to kind of be in line in what Paul is saying right here in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 26 through 29? Would anybody like to comment on that? Reggie? The children of Israel were a very small nation. They were basically one man's family. They had no real power or anything of that nature at the time. So that their successes, particularly during the golden age of David and Solomon, were 
clearly attributed to God. They affirm God's power, not um, not anything of their own will or might. Likewise, the disciples that he chose were fishermen, a tax collector, you know, people that were the lowest of the of the class, and so that any power that they demonstrated were all ma uh, manifestations of God, not of their own will. Anybody else? Larry? Um, I view that considerable bit of difference, what was going on in um, the children of Israel, whether they, I don't really understand that they were really called to salvation. And so to me, that's a total, complete <laughs> difference in what's, the, I mean, what the, um, those patriarchs were, I think. <laughs> I think that's provable, but I don't say that really the vast or the majority, I mean the children were, whereas what the, I mean the, we disciples in this age and time, we're called to salvation, and it's a holy, to me it's a totally different calling, and, but we're not called, we're not helpless, and we, and if we were, we, if we are, were helpless, we, we couldn't make it, but we do have, and Christ said he wouldn't leave us helpless, and we do have that option to continuously seek his help. I think it's only doing that that we're able to really do, fulfill what we've been called to do and win in the battles that we're in in this life. Um, anyway, that's the way I understand it and what way it comes through to me. And just to clarify, uh, thank you very much, Larry, for your comments there. To clarify on this question, in terms of Israel being called or the children of Israel. Uh, it's in relation to the children of Israel being called to be the nation in which God was going to reveal his promises to. Not so much salvation, but rather what was kind of unique about, uh, about the nation of Israel, like alluding back to Reggie, God's going to decide what people he's going to place his name uh, on or in and he chooses this lowly nation, more like a clan, a family clan than anything. Mr. Gregory. Modern disciples, we're all weak, but we have the Holy Spirit to make us stronger. That was the, there's two parts in that question. One of Israel and the children that Paul talked about. Uh, they were all weak, but we have the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Thank you. And kind of going back to what Reggie said, uh, especially the 12, the 12 disciples that would later become known as apostles, they're from Galilee for the most part. And just to give you a little historical context, people from Galilee were really looked down upon. I mean, we can kind of maybe understand that in our own context. You know... There are stereotypes that we have in our culture sometimes when people are known for being from maybe some city that's maybe not known for being very prominent or very sophisticated. People can kind of have a prejudice against people like that. Well, that's kind of how it was for people that were from Galilee. I mean, there was even parts in the New Testament where people were like hearing about Jesus coming from, you know, Nazareth. You know, what, what good comes out of Nazareth? What do you mean, Nazareth? Uh, that's kind of what Reggie was alluding to, and that's 
what kind of demonstrates that, you know, kind of what Mr. Gregory was talking about, the weakness or the unsophisticated uh, nature in which that they were viewed from. Uh, that, that God's powers demonstrated through being able to choose the lowly of the world and put to shame what the world considers the mighty. Do we have any more comments on that question? No comments? Okay, well, let's move on to the next question. Uh, if you flip over to the next page, page two. I want to point out something if you read through this packet. Uh, at the bottom of page two, I gave two examples, and then on page three at the very top, I gave another example, the authority over illness and death. I accidentally wrote the incorrect passage for that, if you might have noticed that. It actually should have been uh, Matthew, the ninth chapter, verses 18 through 26. So you might have read that and thought, man, this doesn't seem to be going with what this little section's title. That was a typo, that was my mistake, and I want to just apologize. Uh, but I want to kind of go back, and I want to read another passage, because what we're getting to here is we're getting to this idea of power. And Jesus, of course, is going to associate the power that he's talking about with the giving of the Spirit. That the disciples were going to receive God's Spirit, and we're going to see a transformation take place between the apostles, and bet or between the disciples when they were with Jesus, and the disciples after the giving of the Spirit. And a part of the study, what we looked at, was that Jesus... He basically mentions that, hey, you see these works that I'm doing among you? All of these mighty deeds? You are going to do these and even greater. In other words, when the Spirit comes, you're going to demonstrate these same things. And so a part of this day, we were looking at the things that Jesus did. We were looking at how he was a witness to the Father and how he did it, of course, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was doing it. Would it be easier if I set up here? It, I, just whichever is easiest. If, is, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll transfer myself. All right, can you guys hear me a little better? Okay, so what I was saying was that Jesus being this witness, uh, of course, and witness, witnessing and testifying of the Father, and he says to the disciples that you are going to do greater works than these. And what's interesting about this is when we read, for example, in different parts of the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, right after Jesus says this, and we think, okay, here these men, these individuals have Jesus that they're following around. They're seeing Jesus do these mighty works. They're seeing Jesus do all of these different things. And then Jesus' hour comes. And despite all the different things the disciples said, what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean you're going up to Jerusalem and you're going to be led into the hands of the Romans and, and the leaders of the synagogues and the leaders of the temple and things like that, and you're going to be arrested and you're going to be uh, put on a cross? What are you talking about? What, what are you saying? I will not let that happen. I will not let that happen. And we see in Luke, the 22nd chapter, which is a very interesting chapter, and a lot of ways is like the culmination, as I mentioned in this study, of the abandonment of Jesus. We read 
In that chapter, just to kind of review, Peter denying Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would. And that third time, in this particular account of this event, on that third time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus, according to Luke, is looking right at Peter and abandoning and denying Jesus the third time. And I had this question for us. Can you relate to Peter in his moment of weakness? What experiences on your journey with Christ might feel similar? Would anybody like to share and elaborate on that? I'll read it again. Can you relate to Peter in his moment of weakness? What experiences on your journey with Christ might feel similar? Larry? To us, are we? Um, at that point in his his life, I we I mean, when conversion comes, and we have this new life with Christ. At the very beginning, are we mature adults? I don't think that we are. I think we start out as infants. We continue to learn more and more about God and having more and more. I mean, having more understanding what's going on in our lives. The and his plan, what he's carrying out, and our, what we're supposed to be doing. And at that point in time, I think that Peter didn't, he wasn't that all that far along whenever he, he thought he could do all this, these things, and he wasn't going to deny Christ. But when it really, when it came down to it, he did. But what happened to him, like we know, you're going to cover later on, he truly did what, <laughs> he, he was serious what, in, full, in fulfilling his calling and doing kingdom work. Absolutely. Anybody else? You know, one of the things that we looked at in this study was, you know, you see Peter denying Jesus three times. And one of the things that was written was, in a lot of ways, we, all of us, all human beings, Christians and non-believers together, were present with Peter in that moment in time. And the reason is because all of us at one time or the other have denied Jesus. It might not be the same way in which Peter denied Jesus. We might not verbally say we don't believe in Jesus or verbally we don't know Jesus, but we might have done so with our actions. We might do so with our way we talk to people, and we might do so in our hearts. And so moving on to that next question, can you think of ways you might have denied Jesus what do you think motivated this? Because I think it's really clear what motivated Peter to deny Jesus in this particular situation. It was out of fear. He sees Jesus that's just been seized by the authorities. He's being put on trial. He's being flogged. And Peter doesn't want to be put in that same situation. He doesn't want to be a, a numbered with Jesus out of fear. So does anybody want to elaborate on that particular question? Can you think of ways that you might have denied Jesus? It's a tough question. Mr. Hope? Yeah, this is kind of a combination of the answer to the last one and this one both. Uh, the early years of uh, my wife and I coming into the church, uh, uh, it was difficult for me to keep my job and, and uh, uh, you know, 
but anyway, uh, we started the church in early part of the year in January. Well, by the time the Feast of Tabernacles came around, uh, we were going to be taken off of the Feast of Tabernacles. And our company had a policy of, of everybody shutting down. The whole company shut down the last week of June, first week of July. So we didn't have any vacation time coming. And I told uh, my lead man, my foreman, that I was going to have to be taken off, you know, in another week or so. And uh, he said, well, you can't do that and all that. But anyway, he said, well, he went to higher ups and told the superintendent and uh, came in on Monday and, and the superintendent tucked me into the office and, and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to lose my job now. And uh, he said, uh, what's, what's the deal? You can't work. And, and I was still timid enough that I wouldn't, didn't want to tell him the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, I just, I don't know why, but I just uh, was afraid to say that. Thought, you know, this religious nut or something. And I said, well, the uh, first thing that came to my mind, because I wasn't expecting anything, I said, well, I have been made an heir. You know, I've, I'm to inherit something. And for me to do that, I've got to go to Texas, <laughs> you know, Big Sandy. I didn't tell him Big Sandy. He said, oh, I say, okay. But I didn't, didn't tell him, you know, I was going to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. And, but in my mind, you know, I, I didn't think I was lying, but I was weak. And I said, I've got to go down there and, and, and part of the route. You know, in, in my mind, I didn't tell him, well, you know, the kingdom of heaven is going to be my inheritance. But anyway, I, I don't have that problem now. I've become more bold, you know, with the growing of the Holy Spirit. Maybe I go too far to the opposite extreme. I don't know if you're giving yourself, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. Telling a boss that you got to leave work because you're an heir, that's pretty bold. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Good deal. That is, a, that is a great story. And that's exactly what I wrote down in a lot of different ways. That right there is our calling. We are heirs of Christ. I mean, there's nothing greater than that. And one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, how can we deny Jesus in this present age? I mean, obviously, it's not going to be that, no, I don't believe in Jesus. I mean, maybe we've come to that point. But... Maybe, maybe not the same fear that Peter had, fear of our physical life is going to be harmed, but, I mean, let's just face it. Sometimes it's kind of not a comfortable thing to do to talk to people about our faith because it's different. It's not really in line with the way the world is. Uh, you know, maybe we're fearful of being, you know, chastised, ridiculed, being made fun of. Maybe there's an element of, you know, embarrassment. You're at a table, right? Uh, and you feel that, you know, people start talking about, why aren't you getting any bacon over here? And of course, this isn't to say that people who eat bacon are terrible people or things like that, you know, pork bacon. But it's to say that maybe we're kind of embarrassed. You know, there's, there's all these different people around. They're going to look at me weird. And we, we don't have quite the boldness to be able to step out there and say, well, I, don't, you know, I, I, I obey these specific laws that are outlined in the Bible. Uh, and that's why I don't do that and be more bold in our faith. And so those are situations that I think that are real, especially with the, you know, with the way in our faith is. I mean, there's a lot of people who take off. Uh, for vacations and things like that, but not everybody has that luxury. And 
sometimes telling your employer that you can't work for a week or eight days in the middle of the fall is a difficult thing. It's a challenge because the world is not on that schedule. And so sometimes we might want to skirt around, kind of like what David was, was alluding to, kind of skirt around that idea and not just be more bold in explaining why we are doing the things that we are doing. Does anybody want to comment any more on that? Larry? The um, being called a Christian nation, how much we truly are, can be. I think is debatable. But as far as really denying Christ, I'm what we know. There are those people in other parts of the earth. If they claim Him, they're they're in for it. You're in for some serious trouble, aren't you? You're, you may be. You're probably facing death in some parts of the earth, because some of them don't go along with this religion. Um, and what, what comes, there's one lady, or one young girl, what, that was out in what, um, Littleton, Colorado? She was one that claimed Christ as her head. Do you others remember, remember this? Columbine, yeah. Well, she claimed that in what, she, she was shot, wasn't she? But as a normal rule, what, in this nation here, that doesn't happen. It's a, it's a rare incident that does happen. But we don't know what's ahead of us in our lives individually, whether we're going to be facing some life and death matters if we deny him. But he says if we deny him, we're going to, he's going to deny us before the Father, whether, you know, whether you're familiar with that verse or not. It's in there. Really, there's three other. There's uh, one in First Timothy 2.12, and there's... Uh, another two other areas in that God deals with this. It's a serious matter in denying him. Thank you. Reggie? This is an example of denying by omission, if you will. Um, uh, when I first started teaching, there was issues of church and state and uh, the separation thereof. Students asked me, where, where do you go to school? And instead of answering it directly, I just evaded the question. Absolutely. Anybody else want to elaborate? That? David? I have a, an answer. It's really about you know church when I was younger. But I'm also reading another book called The Way Back and how Christians blew the identity of Christianity and how to get it back. And going along with what Larry said, you know, I'm denying Christ daily. I mean, not feeding the poor, not clothing the naked, not visiting the, the prisoner. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we're doing that. And if you look at early Christianity, the Romans were amazed at this cult of Jews that were basically dying, lining up to be martyrs, to be roasted over fires, to be fed to the lions. They were, the, the, the head priest was taken out, the deacon would step up, the, the, there would be lines and lines, and they actually made a rule that you couldn't be a martyr. And then they, were, they were amazed. They, were, they would pick up the, uh, the infants that were thrown out, they would do all these great things to be identified as Christians, and it turned the heart of the world by their love and being a follower of Yeshua and doing what he said you should do to be my follower. It was amazing. So I, I feel convicted that I should be doing more. So that's where I, I stand with my 
There's an interesting historical quote about that. I forget the particular church father who actually was cited as saying it, but a, a summarizing it along the lines of the martyrdom of Christians has become the, the seed of the, the church in terms of what's being said. What that quote meant was is that exactly what you were alluding to, uh, Romans would look at these Christians and say, what kind of faith must it take to be able to stand and go and endure these horrible things that they were enduring? And it would prompt them to investigate. I need to know more about what it is that they're believing. Maybe in their mind, rationally, they're thinking they must have some sort of power. Like something must be comforting them and bringing and guiding them through this and being able to be able to withstand the things that are being brought to them. So thank you for bringing that. Anybody else on that question? Tony? Christmas and Easter, you know, it's all up on them what happens after that, you know, but, you know, I have caught slack from people I've worked with, but for the most part, it, it doesn't bother me, you know, and to, on the topic of what David was saying, I started working at the Tulsa Housing Authority on August I think August the 15th, and by the end of the month, I decided I was going to Feast of Shabbat. So I went to the boss and told him what, what I was doing. Had no time off, but, you know, once I showed him what it was and got literature from Lawrence and signature from Lawrence, everything was cool. So but that's been a while. And like I said, now it's just a matter of I say it. I don't eat pork, I don't eat catfish, you know, it's just, hopefully all the conversation turns out good. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I have got slack from that work. Sure. Thank you, and the, go ahead, Chantel. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> Thank you very much for your guys' contribution on that. And, and kind of just to kind of wrap up this particular question, Definitely, of course, in our faith, there are the things like, you know, being kind of out of step with, you know, going to church on Saturday and not Sunday and doing things like holy days and not eating particular foods, uh, which are issues in and of themselves. Uh, but the greater issues, in, in my mind, and I think a lot of you would agree, are the issues of just denying Christ through uh, more general terms. Like, for example, uh, you know, we've lived in this country and we've been very blessed for it to be what's quote unquote what we've always looked at it as a Christian nation. Uh, to be kind of the predominant religion, uh, to be the, the, even though we are kind of a different subset of Christianity, we're not like a lot of the mainline denominations, but uh, you look at the first apostles, you look at the, that, back, that, that society that they grew up in, they were very, very uh, in contrast to not just the Romans, but also their own brethren, the Jews. They were uh, kind of in conflict, and they were not well-liked at all, and they were ridiculed. Uh, and uh, it's interesting how in our country, and I don't want to overgeneralize on this, we're kind of moving towards more of that type of society, where being a Christian is not something that is as readily accepted as it used to be. 
and you might be associated by claiming Christ with being a, a bigot or being, uh, you know, someone that is you know, not accepting of certain lifestyles and therefore you are looked at as against civil rights or you're looked at as against equality and things like that. So, again, don't want to overgeneralize, but I think that that's something that we need to be mindful of as we move into deeper into the 21st century of the different things that we're seeing in our own culture and our own society. And so moving on from this question, I think it's interesting because the whole point of bringing up these things, you know, this is a study about power. And so what we just looked at was kind of the opposite of power. And the reason for that is because in this Bible study, it's, it's hard to understand power if we don't see the before and after. We don't see the transformation. So we looked at Peter, we looked at some of the other apostles, and we see what it was like for them and how they approached their faith. Even though they might have claimed that they had faith, we see the after. We know that tomorrow is the day of Pentecost, and we know that 2,000 years ago, approximately, we see that this event, this birth of the church, basically, takes place as far as the church beginning. We see that the Holy Spirit comes. And we see a transformation in that same individual and group of individuals, those apostles, those disciples turned apostles. And we see the, the scaredness, these, these disciples that fleed at Jesus' arrests, that denied Jesus outright at his trial, are now bold in the faith. We see that the Spirit comes, and we see boldness, and we see because of this boldness, because of the Spirit enabling this boldness, 3,000 people are baptized. And so on the next question that I have, kind of give us a little background. In our study, what we did was we looked at the difference between the disciples before and after. And right after the day of Pentecost, at least in the book of Acts, just a couple chapters on, we start seeing these stories of these transformed individuals. Those individuals that used to be scared are now in the, in the temple healing people and boldly speaking the name of Jesus, even when they're arrested, even when they're detained, to the very people that killed Jesus. And so I have a question for us. Can you elaborate on experiences you have had where the Holy Spirit gave you boldness in the face of potentially negative consequences? Because in the story that we read here in the first few chapters of Acts, there were some really big-time potential consequences for the apostles and what they were doing and going in there and being told, you're not to preach this name Jesus anymore, and then literally looking at the people telling them this, the authorities, whether it be right for us to believe, you know, obey you or God, you, you know, we're going to follow God. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. You do what you have to do, but we're going to follow God. And so my question for you is, can you elaborate on maybe some experiences that you have had where you've had boldness in the spite of potential negative consequences. Darla? I work at a school too, so I have to be really careful what I say. <coughs> but recently I have started telling students, like, they'll ask where you go to church, and I'll tell them, and I'll say I'm a Sabbatarian. And even that might seem like not no big deal, but even for me I feel like that's a step, just the fact that I'm in saying that I'm Christian, that I'm saying that I have that belief system. So. Thank you. One of the spring feasts, uh, I had to go in during achievement test 
and tell our my principal that I was going to be gone. And one of the rules of our school is you could not be absent at all during achievement test. And um, going in to tell him this, his first reaction is, you can't go. That's achievement test. And I said, it's going, I'm not going to work on the Sabbath. And uh, he told me, he said, you're going to get dock pay. You're going all these negative consequences. And I told him, that's okay. Whatever you need to do in that respect, it's okay. But I won't be here on that day. And um, in some respects, you're, when you're in a situation like that, even if you lose your job, you are, in a way, showing the power of God in that you're going to serve God regardless of the consequences. Luckily, he understood I was serious and didn't want me to lose my job, so I went ahead and was able to keep the Sabbath. Thank you. Right over here. Basically, in our whole converging of our faith, we could have lost family and friends because they didn't agree with a lot that we did do. We didn't celebrate the Christmas and Easter anymore. Birthdays weren't really celebrated like we used to do them. And, yeah, we had a lot of warnings of cults. And it almost, at some point, sometimes felt like a separation between the family, which luckily, well not luckily, praise God, they, they have a tendency to be more encouraging now, more respect. It, it just seems like God definitely has filled that hole. He's definitely showed everyone that we're going to stand firm on what we believe. He revealed to us the truth, and we can't deny that truth. So praise God that he's allowed us to come into where we are now. Thank you. Thank you. Friend. Uh, when David and I first came into the church, his parents were very, very, very much against it. In fact, they told us uh, Christmas they were going to come up and put a tree in our house for our children. But, you know, we had to realize we had a choice. And similar to you, for a while, lost family. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. The situation I'm fixing to talk about is not critical like some of the people have already talked, but I'm hoping that in the future my attitude will be as it is now and then even increased because of what you were saying a while ago, and I fully anticipate strong persecution upon us from what I see in the courts, from what I see in, in the news reports, and even Governor Jerry Brown of uh, California is uh, just wanting to ban the Bible in California. And uh, some of you have seen it on YouTube. But anyway, I had a situation here just this year, just before Passover, uh, which, like I said, it's not that serious, but I'm hoping I can increase. I don't believe in uh, really getting into religion or politics, either one, on my jobs. 
simply because it's not good for business. You know, it's just not. And uh, just like uh, talking about politics in the Church of God here, it's not too good to talk about, you know, Republican or Democrat either way because people are strong feeling. But anyway, I was on this job just a few days before Passover. Easter, you know, was the same week. And I was on a job here, and I just finished up to tuck the ticket in to get my check and all that. And, and the gentleman said, uh, Dave, do you, uh, do you have a church to go to? And I said, yes, sir, I sure do. And he said, what is it? I said, well, Tulsa Church of God. Okay. Well, he handed me these two pamphlets. One was on how to read the Bible in a year, and the other one was one of these major Christian churches here and showing their Easter uh, program had, and they, they had hundreds and thousands of a eggs that they were going to pass out. And I said, well, you know, I said, I have really have a problem understanding what's the correlation between Easter eggs and rabbits and the Lamb of God on, on Easter, you know. I said, I really have a problem. And then he, but anyway, the conversation went back and forth a little bit, and he had his proof stricter, and I had mine. And his wife was an ear hearing of that. And uh, I said, hey, you know, I didn't come out here to argue with you, but, you know, I left on a positive note. But my point is, I'm hoping that I and, and all of us can grow enough to when persecution really comes that we will not be afraid, you know, that we'll still be bold and, and not uh, leave out part of the story like Reg was saying a while ago. Thank you. Steve? <clears throat> I might add one thing, and that is no matter what other people do, you follow Christ. If the whole church was to go, you know, some other way, which has happened, you follow Christ. Keep your your whole being on Christ. And those things that are around, those that are going the other way, well, hopefully God will be able to, to bring them back, but this is very important. Don't follow men, follow God. Thank you. I just wanted to add um, something that I think is relevant, that the the early church was weak because um, they, had, they did not have the power of the spirit of, of Elohim. Their eyes and their mind were not understanding to everything that happened with, with uh, the master following and, and or I guess walking with them. And they weren't uh, open to the truth or the scriptures. But with the resurrection and the indwelling of the spirit of God, they were able to um, see and have that power because they understood they understood everything from the prophets and, and, and Moses and all these things. And, and it was the scriptures that were open to them that gave them the power and the boldness to do all the things they did um, to overcome the power to see the truth of Yahweh's word and the fearlessness to live it and to share it. And I think that's basically where we need to draw our power and, and be bold is uh, his word. It's enduring. Thank you. Owen? I just want to say two things. Uh, if you look at like previous churches, like uh, Steve Andrews was saying, uh, where worldwide turned, or just went a whole different way, people start still followed Christ, in my opinion. They just separated in different churches. Uh, and also, I just want to just say that um, if you look at how, what science is, most most scientists are am are atheists and people that do not believe in God and believe evolution and stuff like that. It's, they're starting they're start um, there's more evidence coming from that God's creating the world and they're starting to realize that but they just don't want to prove it thank you so we have like two minutes left oh right there mr. Gregory sorry okay uh, so many have had the experiences 
involving the Holy Days that uh, I had a similar experience uh, my first Feast of Tabernacles when the, the plant manager said I couldn't take off then later he changed his mind and said that he had uh, changed his mind and I could go to that church convention and uh, so I, I think that uh, a lot of people have had the experiences uh, that have related here plus many members have had problems with the Holy Days but when we hold firm and, and trust in God, then he'll work it out that we can go. And uh, Thank you. It's interesting how you say feast to someone. They're like, what? And then you say church convention. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's such a common thing. Uh, we are really running out of time. I do want to kind of wrap this up and kind of maybe kind of overview uh, I don't want to leave us hanging on just this, but if you read through the study packet, uh, it's not just about boldness. That's a big part of it, but also the Spirit has empowered us to live out that life of righteousness in Jesus Christ. There are some warnings, though, that the Bible gives us. Specifically, Paul talks about the possibility of quenching the Spirit. And so on this weekend, on this day that we're studying the, the power of God through, through God's Holy Spirit, I want us just to reflect on... Uh, our walk with God and how we're utilizing God's Spirit. Are we being sensitive to the Spirit? Are we doing things that we're resistant towards the Spirit? Uh, if you look in here, we have some passages for you to look at and some questions maybe for you to ponder that I wanted us to be able to get to, but we've just kind of ran out of time. And so in this study, we've looked at these different six topics. We've looked at faith, hope, love, patience, wisdom, of course today, power through the Holy Spirit. I think all of us went in here I agree that all of these components are only possible through God's Spirit, that we need the Spirit, that this day that we're getting ready to come to, uh, to celebrate tomorrow, the, the meaning of it and the history of what has taken place and the giving uh, uh, of God's Spirit to us is essential. It's what allows us to be bold. It's what allows us to be transformed. Uh, it's, it's what allows us uh, to live out that righteousness, but it's also for us the begettle. It's that down payment, it's that earnest, it's that uh, assuredness that we know that, hey, we are going to have a greater gift, that we're going to have a greater part of even something more amazing, of course, in the kingdom of God at some point in the future. So in conclusion to this, we do have a, a, a couple things I want to mention. We're going to have a survey that we're going to pass out. Uh, we would like for you to fill that out right now, uh, and we're going we're to take it back up. Uh, it's a real short one. I think it's four pages. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so if you could go ahead and fill that out. This is going to give us information about how you felt about the Bible study and maybe potential future topics. Also, the last thing I want to say, I think that this is something I want to just express my appreciation to Matt for his work and Mr. Uh, Steve Andrews for his work. Uh, but there's someone else that I want to express a deep appreciation for, Miss Renee Still, who... Because of her, you can read what in the world me, Matt, and Steve are saying. She's been our unidentified editor for all of these studies, and she's worked tirelessly uh, fixing our grammar and reworking sentences that don't make any sentences or make any sense at all, and actually putting a period, a period in a paragraph every now and then. So I just like all of us just to give her a round of applause if you would, because editing is not hard. Especially when one of the individuals that you're editing is, is me. So I'd just like to express my appreciation for her. So thank you. 
This concludes our path to Pentecost. Uh, of course, tomorrow is Pentecost, so you have something else you want to say? Yeah, just real quick, there's one question I just want to make sure that everybody understands. Uh, number five on the survey, um, it says, I would like to complete a Bible study with a home group during the week. And I, I, some of you may be familiar with that, but maybe others not. That kind of format is where the study that you did at home by yourself, you actually would meet up at somebody's house that's close to you and kind of more of a fellowship group, and you would work through the study with that group. So that's what that question is about. It may or may not be something that, uh, that you would like to do. Yes, please fill out the survey. It'll really help us to understand um, how, how this has gone. And uh, I'd just also like to say thank you for your participation. Uh, I think our, the feedback and the participation in the sessions has been fantastic. Thank you. I'd just like to echo what Matt said. Thank you all. You guys have made this study actually uh, something that was worthwhile. Uh, you guys did uh, most of the talking, which was a success in my opinion. Uh, and you guys, I think all of us, uh, gave each other a lot of uh, great perspective on the different topics that we, that we discussed. So thank you.